Welcome back to Not Your Average BS, where we talk about what everybody else is thinking. I'm Brendy. And I'm Shannon. What's up, you all? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Not Your Average BS podcast. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down with Courtney Cole, who, as she describes herself early on in this episode, is just such a light and was so much fun to talk to. I met Courtney in my undergraduate career at UNC Charlotte. We worked together for a little bit in the orientation office. And currently, Courtney is a multimedia journalist. She got her start in Monroe, Louisiana at KNOEWTV8. And she actually just recently returned to Charlotte, North Carolina, where she currently works for WTV. And a little bit more about her, she is a sister of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She also did several internships over the span of a few years, including MSNBC in New York City and WTV, where she currently works at. And talking to Courtney was honestly just very eye-opening at the power of connection and the power of networking. And as we all know, Brendy over here is the queen of networking. She tells you all almost every single week a different way to get connected to people in order to reach your goals. And I think throughout this episode, that was a constant theme that Courtney has not let up on her dreams of being a reporter and covering important topics. And so today's episode really, I don't know, it just really inspired me. And it was just really fun to talk to a friend and somebody who is really excelling in their professional career as well. Absolutely. I love that we get to talk to people from all different walks of life, all different career paths, but everyone can still listen and get a really great message out of it. So in today's episode, we cover a lot of different topics. Honestly, we talk about Courtney's experience as a multimedia journalist, you know, kind of being her own one woman show, not having a cameraman, you know, coming up with all her ideas and everything like that. We also talk about what it's like to cover these really historic and monumental stories from racial injustice protests last summer to the current pandemic and what it's like to cover those stories pretty much every single day. And then towards the end, we also talk about what you can do as a person that consumes media and things to look out for. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Courtney Cole. So thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the podcast today. We're really excited to speak with you. Thank you all so much for having me. So to kick things off, we like to start with an appetizer. So this can be an app, resource, book, literally anything that you use in your life. And it can be kind of related to your job or just something that you use like in your personal life. So I don't listen to podcasts very often, but when I do, there's this one I listen to and it's called Girl Do Better. And they have a wide variety of topics. It's three women. I don't know the host name off the top of my head, but that is one that I recommend. And it's not just for women, men, non-binary, however you identify, but I recommend listening to a good podcast, whether it's about history, whether it's about crime, whether it's about your dating life, something just to keep you occupied besides music in the car. And that is the one I'm recommending. Of course, you all as well. Yes, I love that. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, that can't be our appetizer. Yeah, unfortunately, that can't be our appetizer. But um, so 
Moving on from that, um, this is sort of like a, we used to ask this question um, in terms of who are you from like a 30,000 view. And oftentimes people would give us their job title, you know, what they do for a living, you know, where they went to school, which is perfect. That makes you, you. But if you were to remove the titles, mm -hmm. who is Courtney Cole? That is a really good question because if you hadn't said, don't talk about your job or don't talk about this, then I would have said, oh, well, I work with X, Y, and Z. But I think the immediate thing that comes to mind is that Courtney Cole is a light. And I think there is a light inside of all of us. So if you saw me from a 30,000 foot bird's eye view, that I am a light. I love that. And then to get into the more specific titles, could you just tell um, us and obviously our audience what you do currently for work? Absolutely. I am a multimedia journalist, or as many people would understand it as a reporter for WBTV News in Charlotte. And essentially, I'm a one-man band. I shoot, I write, I edit, I drive. I come up with everything. And no, there's no wow. cameraman. So you do everything by yourself? Yep. 99% of the time. Lordy, Lordy, Does it ever Lordy. get stressful? Like, do you ever wish, like, man, I wish I had a cameraman, or man, I wish someone I had like, or I had someone to like bounce ideas off of, or are you just used to it now? Oh, there are definitely some days. I think I'm at the point where I'm tired of driving mm -hmm. to my stories, but I don't yeah. have anybody to drive me. And of course with COVID, you can't be in the car with people at the same time. But sometimes I do just so it would be easier. Like, let's say I was doing a really intimate interview. It's like, okay, I could actually sit here and pay more attention to what this person is saying rather than, is my battery dead? Is my mic okay? Let me check back and load the camera. Let me adjust the angle. So Definitely right. could use that spare hand, but some days I like it because I can control everything from start to finish and how it comes out. Is there a reason why it's just you? Like, is that like budgetary? Is that COVID related? Mm -hmm. Is that just, you know, being a new face in the field essentially? Yeah. So I think it's an industry standard at this point to have more multimedia journalists or one man bands. I've noticed that at least within the last five years, they're shifting from that two person crew to singular people, because if one person could do the job of multiple people, then hey, let one person do it. Now, there are still some instances where you'll see the reporters, where they will have a photographer with them sometimes, or even like certain live shots, I'll have somebody there with me, but a majority of the time, it's me shooting, writing, and editing and whatnot, and more and more, it's becoming just that solo person, and more people are actually doing more stuff on their phones now than actual cameras. I know that you are working more than 40 hours a week. Of course. <laughs> I know that you are. Just everything that I'm you already thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> um, so to back, to back oh, no. up a little bit, obviously we met in undergrad, but could you just tell um, the audience where you went to undergrad maybe um, and what you were involved in as well as your major and where maybe that passion for news reporting came from? Yes. Yeah, so I'm originally from Virginia um, in a town or well, city called Fredericksburg. And it's about an hour south of DC. I always tell people that's where the traffic gets really bad at because if you're driving down or up I-95, you're going to be stuck there for probably an hour to an hour and a half longer than you thought you would be. But I'm a 2019 graduate of UNC Charlotte, where I studied communication studies and sociology. And some of the things I was involved in there, if I can remember, I hope I don't leave anything out. Um, I was a member of the Black History Club. I did spoken word for a very, very, very brief stint with Merge. I'm also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I worked with the orientation office. I was a safe mentor. I'm an emerging leaders graduate. I attended a couple other leadership seminars. I was almost a Niner guide at one point. I think I'm an honorary one because I knew the campus pretty well anyway. 
and interacted with admissions at times. Um, oh, I was also on the homecoming committee at one point. But what have you not done, you know, Miss Ma'am? What have you not done? Who knows? It's so hard to remember at this point. But what got me into journalism, I was in high school and I was in this program called the James Farmer Scholars Program. And it was for black students from sixth grade all the way up to your senior year. And we were in different counties, whether it was Spotsylvania, Caroline, other ones within that region of Virginia. And they would have us come to Mary Washington College, University of Mary Washington, one Saturday a month. And we would study things that we weren't typically learning in school, whether that was genealogy, criminal justice, media, and whatnot. And I had a teacher there. Her name is Vanessa Russell. I'll be sure to send this link to her. And she used to be a news reporter. And I liked her as a person. I feel like I really gravitated towards her. So hearing her talk about her job and what storytelling is made me initially like, oh, I want to be on TV. I want to do news. And then you, as you can see, that's not just being on TV is what it is. And then from there, when I got ready to graduate high school, I was accepted into the Emma Bowen Foundation for Minority Students of Media, which was a four-year internship program, whether you focused on broadcast, PR, human resources, anything like that. And so when everybody graduated high school and went to Beach Week, I walked inside of a newsroom. And that was where I had my first experience in Richmond at WRIC Television, where I learned hands-on everything. And from there, I was like, you know, it doesn't really feel like work. It's something that I enjoy. And so that's how it grew. And I'm still here. That's crazy. First of all, when you were talking about Nova traffic, it literally triggered me because I'm from Maryland and all the times that we would drive up there and we would literally just be sitting in traffic for so long. I, it just took me back and I hated it so much. Um, Mm -hmm. But how did you end up, um, you talked a little bit about that internship program, but how did you end up going from Fredericksburg all the way to Charlotte? Yeah. So I think it was my sophomore year. I remember my parents were talking about Charlotte, this Charlotte, that Charlotte's growing. Everybody's going to Charlotte. I was like, okay, well, let me see what schools there are there. And I initially looked at Queens University because I, did, I didn't know about UNC Charlotte at the time. And I met a woman who went there and she was like, honestly, don't go. I spent so much time at UNC Charlotte. I should have went. So I'm telling you, that's where you should go. And when everybody at my high school was going to colleges that were in Virginia, like VCU, JMU, Virginia Tech, they're like, oh, where are you going? UNC Charlotte, Chapel Hill? No, UNC Charlotte. I'm going somewhere different. Um, And so with that, you know, you talked about getting into journalism. How did you maybe land your first job post-grad? Yeah. Um, if I remember, I think it, it's, it's very strange because when I was in my different internships all throughout college, I always wondered, where am I going to end up at? Where's going to be that first market for me? And I met so many other reporters who were like, oh, you know, I started here. I was in this state. I was in that state. And there's 210 DMAs or designated market areas for broadcast television, number one being New York City, 210 is a place I can't even think of, it's just the middle of nowhere. And I always wondered, where's the place I'm gonna go? And everybody always told me, you know, start somewhere a little bit smaller so you can get your feet wet, you cut your teeth, you learn the ins and outs and you can make mistakes and still have a job the next day. So when that time finally came and I was getting ready to graduate, it was around March and April, I was like, okay, I'm gonna apply for, they always told me, you know, I applied to a hundred places here, this 200 here. And I'm like, dang, you mean to tell me I'm going to have to apply for probably 10 jobs every day for the next month and a half and hope I hear something. But it was so strange because I remember sitting at work um, with SOAR and I was sitting there like, okay, let me start these applications. I'm going to go this company this week, this company next week. I made my demo reel. And funny enough, I applied to maybe 16 places 
And within eight days, I got offered a job. And people were like, you know, don't feel like you have to take the first one. So I was like, okay, I'll wait a little bit. Let's see if I can, you know, string them along for a little bit while I see my options. Because at that point, I'm like, okay, well, it's not a bad option. I have to go somewhere. I know the money's not great. I'll, I'll live. It's just two years. And I waited, listened to a couple more, got through a few more interviews. And within 30 days, I was like, you know, Monroe, Louisiana might be the best option at the time. Had never heard of it. Never been a day in my life. And I took it and took that chance. How, what has it been like? So you've been in the industry for a couple years now. Um, you kind of got that taste of normalcy right mm -hmm. after school. So what has it been like um, kind of navigating to this COVID-19 world as a reporter? Um, has it been like a drastic change for you or just kind of talk about what it's been like? Oh, it's it's so crazy. I've been in full time for a little over 18 months. And what's funny is my first nine months were normal. I was covering everything that was happening, news of the day, connecting with people. Would have never thought that at this point, my story every single day has something to do with COVID. Whether it's a food pantry that's feeding people because more people are hungry or any, I don't vaccines, testing. I swear it's almost the same thing every day at this point. You find something different, but there's always because of COVID amidst the pandemic, COVID this, COVID that. And I'm tired of it just as much as everyone else is, but that's what our life is at this point. And it changed at my first job. You know, we were in the newsroom every day. I may have went live from the field or live from inside of our studio, but on the average day, I was still working by myself. I was driving myself to my stories, interviewing people. And I think, you know, sometimes I'm like, that's oh, so crazy to believe how we used to do things so differently back then. And I think of it, how many hands I may have shook. I've hugged strangers. It was standing close to people. I've covered rallies when President Trump came to Monroe. I've, and even years before that at other stations, I've been in such places with so many different people. And it's crazy on days where how many times have we gone somewhere and not felt well in the past and didn't think anything of it? Or, oh, I'm just going to come to work today, even though I got a cold because I don't have enough PTO. Oh, we can't do that anymore. Now it's, I'm still working by myself in the car. We take our work cars home because they assign them to us. I get sent set up with, um, what's the stuff? Hand sanitizer all the time. I'm wearing almost a different color mask every single day. Even when I'm on camera by myself somewhere, people get angry. They're like, why are your reporters wearing masks? Because if somebody runs up on me, and they don't have one, I don't have one on, then that's a split second where I'm at risk. And now you don't go into the station anymore. We don't have those sit down editorial meetings the way we used to, where you could come together and, hey, so-and-so, what do you think about this? Or do you mind looking at this? It's now we're on Microsoft Teams for our meetings every single day. You're getting your script approved over Google through your email address versus putting it in the system. Even interviews at this point, I'm doing a lot more Zoom interviews. I still do some in person. And I get asked every day, do you mind if I keep my mask on? You can do whatever you want to do because I'm going to be six feet away from you, whatever you're comfortable doing. Now it's less of me standing right next to you holding the microphone and, hey, I'm going to clip this right here and step away or I'm going to put this on the ground. You go ahead and you put it up on yourself, do what you got to do. Or It's definitely very strange. Some things I'm fine with, like, for instance, not coming in to have a meeting. Yeah, we could do this over the phone. That's 30 more minutes. I could stay at the house and not have to rush down I-77 to get there to talk about the same thing as I'm going to talk about now. But some days I really do miss the camaraderie being inside the newsroom. I have coworkers I've never met and may not meet for who knows how long unless it's over Teams. 
And I definitely miss that aspect. Do you feel like that takes away, you know, this new landscape? Because I didn't even necessarily, I've, I've been looking a lot at the burnout of like nurses and doctors during this entire thing, because there have been, there's been a massive shift in the medical field where nurses are having, they have PTSD from this. They have, they're burnt out. They don't want to be nurses anymore, or they don't at least want to be nurses in high volume hospitals. So I guess I never really took a step back to look at what this meant for the news or, you know, other jobs like that too. Do you feel like this new landscape of recording has changed maybe the authenticity or, you know, the integrity of some of the interviews that you do? Or do you find yourself being burnt out from having the same conversations on a daily basis? So interestingly enough, I have a friend, she's in Rhode Island now, but at the time when we were both in Monroe, she had interviewed a man who claimed that his child had died of COVID, claimed that his wife was in the hospital. And who are we to question, did your family member really die? Are they really sick when hundreds of thousands of people are going through this? So there was never a thought, hey, let's check the death records. Let's do this. And he lied. It, the story aired. The next day, his family called like he's lying. He made everything up. And it's like, you know, when did we get to a point where it's okay to lie about people dying? Not your own child. Your own too. family. How do you question somebody? Hey, are you sure they're dead? Are you sure they're sick? I'm sure. And that was one thing for me when I was like, you know, we trust people a lot. And at the end of the day, it's not, oh, that man got on TV and lied. It's Courtney Cole got on the news and told that story of that man who lied. And that moment I was like, people are crazy. I mean, I already knew they were crazy, but people are really crazy. And as far as burnout, I'm sure you all saw, I cannot remember her name, but a journalist from CNN yesterday broke down crying about how many hospitals she's seen, how many families she's seen impacted. And it's definitely exhausting. I mean, thankfully, I haven't had any family members be impacted by COVID. I took an antibody test last week and thankfully didn't have any antibodies. I was shocked. I see strangers every day. And I'm not going to lie. I have seen my friends at times and I was honestly shocked, but I was so grateful. Like, you know, I've been spared from something that has ruined so many families and so many people's lives. And knowing that every day we're reporting on these people. I remember meeting a woman last year in like April was at a prayer event at a hospital. She was there praying for the healthcare workers. And she was like, you know, my aunt has COVID, but I think she's going to be fine. About a month went by, the woman passed away. And it's like, you know, these are real people. Yes, we see numbers every single day, but that's somebody's sister, somebody's dad, somebody's cousin, friend. And I think that in itself is exhausting and very unfortunate because it's a reality for so many people. And I don't know where the end in sight is. I, I don't see it right now. It's hard to believe because it's like you think we're getting better and we're approaching a year of living like this and we're, we're just scraping by. And even with the job some days, it's like, you know, I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of going to a testing site. I'm tired of doing this, you know. But then there are days where you meet people and it may be about COVID, but it may be something slightly different to where it warms your heart. I met a nurse practitioner on Saturday. She had worked in a COVID unit and seeing the light in her face when I asked her, you know, how do you feel about knowing that you'll be offering the vaccine to people at this clinic? She said it gives them hope that people can have that chance to go see their grandma and grandpa or to go travel. So you, you try to find small moments and small wins in every single day, but it's definitely something I would have never imagined in my first what well, happened in my first job and now going into my second job in a full year. Definitely. I think 
it's honestly just shocking that we're still here, still in the thick of the pandemic in 2021. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, 2020 was insane for a lot of people, but I can't even imagine as a news reporter, you're sharing these stories. You're really on the front lines trying to capture everything that's going on. And I wanted to ask, what was it like during the summer when we were seeing so many protests for racial injustice? So kind of between that and on top of that, the pandemic. What was it like kind of reporting on those through the summer of 2020? So what's interesting is um, when I was in Monroe, I was in Northeast Louisiana overall. There were not very many protests there. And I thought it was so strange. And I was like, you know, I'm seeing stuff happen in Shreveport 90 miles away. Or every now and again, you see something in New Orleans. I watched the protests happen here in Charlotte. I watched my friends report on it. I watched them in Richmond. I watched them in Wyoming. I saw them happening everywhere. And it was for a little while in Monroe and then throughout Northeast Louisiana, it was very quiet. And I would sit and talk to friends who were covering these protests. And I wondered, is something gonna happen here? Not that I wanted to be violent or crazy, but am I not doing enough because I'm not out there covering it too? And I had to realize that's out of my control for one, but when they did have protests, whatever efforts they may have been there, they were peaceful, thankfully. And it's you're still capturing history. It may look different than how it looks in, in another state or another city, but I had to be grateful that I was still there to cover it happening when it did happen, even if 10 people showed up or five people showed up. And what's also interesting is over the summer in Monroe, there was a man who filed a complaint with the police, police department um, saying that he had been beaten up by police. And I covered that from the beginning when the when the complaint was filed with the police department, and it still hasn't ended. He actually was missing the other day and was found, thankfully, but the investigation is still ongoing, and that was something I followed for months while I was there. So then we started seeing protests because I feel like for them, it hit home. It wasn't George Floyd. It wasn't Jacob Blake. It was Timothy Williams. But Timothy Williams is alive to tell what happened, and that made it different there. And the protests for that, we saw NAACP leaders come out, pastors and everything. He spoke out. I talked to his pastor. I talked to his lawyers. And I thought that was pretty remarkable. Now, with the pandemic, it's strange because you see all these people coming together amidst all this other stuff that's going on. It's like we're still in a pandemic. We're fighting racial injustice. We're fighting a virus that has taken over the entire world. And what do you do? Mm. And I guess on a more like personal note, as a black woman, but also as a reporter, how do you navigate those two things? And have you ever had to take a step back to protect your peace? Or for you, has the job always had to come first and then you've had to remedy your other identity after that? You know, back again, April, May, I remember, um, what's his name? His first name is Omar from CNN. He was arrested, report. Yes, yeah. was arrested. Omar Jimenez, yeah. I think, is his last there name. There we go. And I remember Black Lives Matter, which has been around for years, as we know, but again, was rising over the summer, especially after George Floyd was killed in police custody. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, what can I say about this situation? Because I can't have an opinion on something so divisive because of my job, because I'm supposed to be unbiased. And... I remember when Omar got arrested and I was like, you know what? what, what's opinionated about this? It was wrong. What's opinionated about saying that George Floyd and Breonna Taylor should still be alive 
And then the company that I work for released guidance that was like, this is not a political issue. This is a human issue. And that's when it was like, I started seeing more and more journalists expressing their views about, about Black Lives Matter, about protesting, about racial injustice. And I'm like, to think that we had to sit here and wonder, can I comment on something like this? But again, it's not a political issue. It's a human rights issue. And at that point, I think I felt more comfortable being able to say things. There's still certain things that I'm not going to say on the internet. I may have a personal conversation one-on-one with someone about something, but as much as I could say, I was like, okay, I think I should take this upon myself to say it on Twitter, to do these stories. I did a story about transgenerational trauma. And that was funny because that day, my original story fell through. And I was like, Courtney, are you really going to call your managers who were white and say, hey, can I do this story about how black people are grieving years and years and years later watching these protests? It's like, I mean, what are they going to tell me? No, like it's a real thing that people are experiencing. So I went and did it. And I interviewed a, he wasn't a psychiatrist, but he was a different mental health professional and explained the history of how it may be 2020 and people are upset with this. But what about people who lived through the civil rights era that may still be feeling that same pain? How is this triggering to them? And I think that's one thing that we're still having this conversation about not just in my newsroom, but people are having in other newsrooms across the country. It's not just on the responsibility of black journalists because we live this every single day, but making sure that our white coworkers, our Latinx coworkers and coworkers of any other identities are telling these stories. So if you can send me to Betty's Fort Road to talk about X, Y, and Z, they need to go too, because we're all working and living here together. And I think that's the most important thing is telling those stories to impact people. And I remember seeing a really profound one one of my friends that no longer works here, and she did a story about how you can talk to your children about race. And she talked to a interracial couple, and she talked to a black woman. How are you all having conversations about race? And I remember seeing some of those happening over the summer, even in Richmond, which was the capital of the Confederacy. People were out at the Robert E. Lee Monument having block parties, but then some people were sitting there having heart-to-hearts about what they were going to do for their children. So I think it was a very pivotal point at, for journalists, no matter what race we are, to realize that you know this is stuff that's happening every single day and it doesn't just end today. We still need to be doing that now because it's not going to end. Did Would you, um, kind of looking back, like would you have ever anticipated as, before you kind of got into the media industry that these issues of racial injustice would become such a... I guess, prominent issue for journalists and reporters to speak out on, um, because I think in the past it's been kind of taboo or politicized these issues of human rights. So kind mm-hmm. of were you surprised or were you ever you know, anticipating that this would happen or were you just like a stance has been made and I'm glad that it's okay and acceptable to talk about this? I had never really thought about it because for years we had seen with Trayvon, we had seen with Alton Sterling, with Philando, with so many other people that they would cover them, do their due diligence there. People, again, may have had private conversations, but I remember interviewing a mayor back in Louisiana and he said, George Floyd was not the straw that broke the camel's back. He was a tree because at that point, and it didn't matter who it was. Unfortunately, it was George Floyd, but at that point, that's when everybody had enough and realized there is a serious problem here that needs to be addressed. And being quiet in any sense isn't going to do anything about it for anyone. We can do our jobs by reporting on it, but how are we expressing our views to make sure that people understand that injustice is injustice and it's not political. So I'm glad to see that that shift happened. I'm sorry that it happened at the hands of another person's life, 
but I'm glad to see that that shift happened because now we're having important conversations, whether they're at the workplace, outside of the workplace, or when you turn on the five o'clock news, I think it's very important that that happened. Yeah. Um, and so you talked a little bit about being in Louisiana, obviously now you are reporting in Charlotte. So what made you want to leave Louisiana to come back to Charlotte? Because obviously you lived here for four years in undergrad. So what kind of led to your great return? So I started looking for jobs about kind of six months out to when I knew I was leaving and just would reach out to people on Twitter like, hey, how do you like working at so-and-so? How do you like working here? And I didn't always consider Charlotte. I knew at some point I wanted to come back here. And it's funny because my current boss told me on the last day of my internship, she was like, when your two years are up, I want you to come back here. And I was like, oh, she's being nice. I ended up leaving earlier than two years, but she stuck to her word and brought me back. But even between then, I knew I wanted to be back closer to family. So I looked for places in Florida. I looked in Greensboro. I looked in Raleigh. I looked in Virginia. I looked in other places in this region because I had enough. I was like, all right, this was nice. This was a great experience, great cultural experience but I need to be back closer. So when this opportunity (laughs) presented itself and there wasn't any confusion, there wasn't any struggle, it wasn't any games or gimmicks with it. It was like, okay, well, we want you to come work here. We believe in you because of this. And I was like, all right, well, then it's time to go back. I mean, it's a familiar area to me. I knew some of the people I would be working with. And now I have the opportunity to see more of Charlotte outside of the four years that we were in school because I only scratched the surface then. Now I'm learning more about the city and even other counties that are here too. And we talk a lot about networking on this show. Brendy is like a huge proponent of networking. And you just hit such a key point where you said you reached out, you know, to other people at other stations to get their experience. Is that something that you just took upon yourself? Is that, you know, an industry standard where you taught that somewhere? Um, Because I feel like it's not just applicable to somebody who works in the news world. I feel like anybody who wants a job anywhere could benefit from reaching out to somebody. So where did you sort of learn that, I guess, you know, trick? Yeah. Um, I think that honestly goes back to my first internship experience when I was an Emma Bowen intern. They had conferences every summer for us. They would either fly us in, bus us in, put us on the train to come to New York City. And we would meet people who were interns like us years ago. For instance, Gio Benitez, he's a correspondent with ABC, was a Emma Bowen intern to meet people like him, to meet other people who work for HBO, work for ABC, CBS, own anywhere to know, hey, they started out just like you. And it started there, you know, in-person networking, which I, I love conferences. I really miss that because mm-hmm. I can eat, I can mingle, I can talk. I don't have to worry about anything besides being myself. And I think it all started there. And then when I got into the job, I'm a very social person. So social media just made that flourish even more by meeting people. And in this industry, I've met so many people virtually that I've never seen in person and may not see for who knows how long, but I see them, their tweets pop up. I may message them, hey, how are you doing? Or we'll talk about food or music or TV shows. And when it came down to looking for jobs, I just would search the call letters for a station. Oh, okay, let me see if this person's, at least their message icon is open. Okay, let me send them a message. Sometimes people respond instantly. Some people may wait a few days, but eventually they got back to me and still follow them. I still watch their work. And that was what it came from. I mean, the worst thing somebody could do is forget to respond or not see your message. But anything, you know, you make a connection with somebody. And I've noticed people doing that for me now, reaching out, hey, you know, I'm applying to your old station. Can you tell me X, Y, and Z? Oh, how fun. You know, what do you, what, what should I do? How can I do this? What do you recommend? So now it's coming back around. And so I always make sure 
to pay it forward. And I was always told when I was in Emma Bowen that, you know, somebody opened the door for you, so you need to do it for someone else, else, else. So when it's real, I'll critique this. I'll give you some feedback on this. I want to help people because somebody else helped me. I love that it's come full circle and that you like try to pay it forward. That's really awesome. Um, what has your experience been like as a young female in the news industry? I know there's a lot of young women in the industry, but have you ever had like any issues or any like, you know, maybe someone like not respecting you as much or people just being surprised by how young you are, anything like that? I've been very fortunate to have a positive experience overall. Um, I've never felt, and I've had conversations with people that were like, you know, I really want to go to an environment where I feel like I'm supported. And I can say it's been like that for both of my jobs. It was never a, oh, I'm out for myself type thing. We were like a family and still are. Even you find your tribes at different places that you work at and you get support, you ask for help. Even if you don't want to hear what they're going to say, you still ask for help because you want to get better. And I feel like it's been generally positive on a safety sense. Thankfully, I haven't had any safety issues. And it's sad because I've seen it happen on Twitter where women or even men in the industry have been attacked on the job. And I'm so thankful that has not happened. I even had a viewer at my last market. He would always watch the nighttime news. And at one point he asked me, like, who's out there with you? And I was like, nobody. And he went and bought me some mace and was like, please take this. Even if you don't need it, at least you have it. And so... I keep it with me. So haven't had to use it, thankfully. Oh, but nice. I've been fortunate. And even as a woman, I'm fortunate to have not had any oh, thank God. negative situations. And going, even going back to the race conversation, again, knowing when to advocate for yourself and when to check your colleagues if they're saying or doing something that may be insensitive. And like I said, it, it's been very positive. Um, and I learn more about myself every day with that and learning how to be a better colleague and a better person as well. So if you've had to check your colleagues in terms of the race or even, you know, the gender conversation, what has that looked like for you? And, you mm -hmm. know, if somebody listening needs to do that and advocate for themselves, but doesn't know how to, could you provide maybe some insight as to what that experience was or just even some general tips? Yeah. Um, one thing I know that was big, I didn't have this issue at my last station, but I knew it was something that other people were dealing with in other areas was just about, you know, when covering the protest over racial injustice over the summer is that don't criminalize protesters and knowing the language that you're supposed to be using when describing these people. And even now capitalizing the B in black, whether it's in your scripts, whether it's on the web, making sure to note the differences between that and the differences between people in color, because black people are people of color, but all people of color are not black and making sure to notate those differences there and I even had to check myself at one point when it came to somebody's pronouns last year. I was writing my script, it had aired, and I looked on Twitter and the person who I thought identified as he, him, actually identified as they, them. And I reached out, I was like, hey, I personally wanna apologize, I didn't realize that it will be corrected on the web. And they said, wow, I didn't even think that a person in the news would care about something like that. Why would I not when I'm a person too? And so, paying attention to those things and making sure that people are represented properly, whether it's by their gender, whether it's their sexuality, their race. Even I had a conversation with a woman recently about going by MRS versus MS. If, if that's who you are and who you identify as, then I need to respect that. So I would say those are some things that I've definitely noticed. Even when I was applying for jobs here, I interviewed with some of the producers and two of them were black, one is Hispanic. And I was like, you know, how are you making sure that your white colleagues are doing their part and that they're understanding. 
And so I think that's one of the biggest things is having conversations with people and not being quick to shut someone down if they don't understand, but educating them so they do understand right from wrong and understanding people's experiences because you don't want to diminish those just because you don't get it when we live this every single day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that over the past several years, we've seen the news media industry become more progressive. We have more Black people, more people of color, Mm -hmm. more women, more young women in the industry. Um, So we wanted to ask you, are there any, is there any one person or maybe a few people that you're really inspired by in the industry and think that other people should keep up with or follow? I'm going to start one with the local level. I think everybody in some way, shape or form, and I'm not going to lie to you. I don't watch the news. I don't watch it for hours outside of work. I keep up with it as best as I can, but I don't sit there for hours on and watching it. I listen every single day, so I need need a break. But I'm not going to tell other people to do that. If you want to watch, watch. If you want to read, read. If you want to listen to it in a podcast, you can do that. And I think it most importantly starts at the local level, whether it's your local newspaper or your local television station, watching the things that are happening in your own backyard and then look at national news because national is obviously happening everywhere. But if something, for instance, the school shooting that we had on the last day of class, the reporters that have already been here know UNC Charlotte because they covered it already. But I don't want to call them strangers, but people who work for network are coming in. They're learning everything as they come in versus the people who've already been here. And I think about that a lot with Louisville and Breonna Taylor. Those people have been covering it since the day it happened. I have friends that work in Louisville as reporters. They've been covering it since March. And then as it blew up, you have people nationally coming in, learning as they go. And it's not to discredit their efforts, but they're not there every day. Those people still have to go home and go to bed in Louisville at the end of the night. They have to go to the grocery store. So paying attention to local news is what I would recommend to people. As far as people that I like and pay attention to when I do watch and just I have a lot of respect for um, is Kristen Walker with NBC. Um, Also, I really liked Kelly O'Donnell when I interned at MSNBC a couple summers ago. I would see her a couple times reporting from the White House. I have a lot of respect for her as well. And Rachel Scott, who works for ABC. She's on the White. She covers the White House. She covered the election. She was also an Emma Bowen. And that's a prime example of somebody who just like me. And I don't know if I'll go to network. I don't know. I don't know. But a prime example of someone who's just like me that went on to do that. So those are women I recommend and watch sometimes. And in terms of, you know, inspiration and specifically more so longevity in terms of your career Mm -hmm. and your personal life, because obviously we've talked so much about your, you know, job as a reporter and all of the incredible work that you've done what inspires you um, or what do you see down the road for yourself in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years? It can be um, whether it be for your career or just your personal life. You know, I used to be a person at one point where I would be like, oh, 10 years from now, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And now I'm not really that person anymore. But I can say whatever I am doing at that point, whether it's news, whether I'm working at Panera or whether I'm working at Target. I'm not working at Panera. <laughs> not working at Target, making that fifteen I an hour. Want to help people, and I get that from storytelling. So if that means that years from now I'm still doing news and I have that opportunity, then that's what it is. If that means that I'm freelancing, then that's what it is. Or who knows what? But I want to still have the opportunity wherever I'm at, while I can still see and move as fast as I can move now to tell stories for people. It may not be every day on your five o'clock, 11 o'clock news, 
but that's what I still want to do. Some people I know, I know a lot of friends in this industry, they're like, I want to go to CNN. I want to go to NBC Network. I want to go to CBS. I want to come home at night. I don't want to be in London today, New York tomorrow, San Antonio the next day, or even let's just think about this. There were people last week who worked for networks and were minding their business. And next thing they knew, they had to hop on the plane to go to DC to cover the insurrection at the Capitol. I want to go home at the end of the day. I don't want to go across the country and bounce around all the time. I think it's amazing what they do, but that's not what I want to do now. If I change my mind and you all see me up there years from now, then you heard it here first, but I want to continue <laughs> to tell stories about people. And who knows, maybe I'll go back and teach one day. I don't know. I don't really see myself going back to school, but if I do, I'm not going to test people or make them write papers. I want to have discussions. Where has that, where has this knack for storytelling <laughs> came from? Like, have you just always enjoyed it? Or was there like one specific story that like, you know, struck you to your core and that's what sort of ignited this flame to, you know, be mm -hmm. a light as you described earlier for storytelling. I, as a kid and even now talked way too much, always talking to people, talking to strangers. I'll talk to a dog at this point. And I think just that you really will I'll talk, talk to, to anybody. Like I don't you really have will. Like, I think the gift of gab did it. And just seeing how stuff transforms. Even today, I did a story about how the Mecklenburg County Public Health Director said yesterday, hey, we want schools to stay remote for the next three weeks. And so CMS is making a big decision tomorrow on whether schools are going to stay remote or go back in person. So I reached out to a woman I actually graduated from UNC Charlotte with and was like, hey, I know you teach for CMS. Do you mind sharing your perspective? I got on Facebook, Twitter, looking for people. I went on CMS's meeting last night creeping through the comments like, oh, they, they, oh, they're talking about their kids. That's a parent. Let me message them, see if they'll respond. Messaging people until somebody said, yeah, I'll talk to you. And I only got two people total. But some people have flooded in afterwards. I'm like, hey, let me get your number and I'll get you next time. But hearing people's perspectives. And I think that's what keeps me going. Some days are easier than others, of course. Last Friday, I covered snowfall and had never done that before. And it was fun. It was cold. It probably won't be as fun the next time. But taking advantage of those moments, no matter what it is. So whatever tomorrow's story is, you know, I'm gonna tackle it head on and get it done. What, if any, advice would you offer to people, just regular, regular people who are consuming today's media, whether that's, you know, news, TikTok, well, I guess you can't really call it TikTok, like media, um, or like social media, stuff like that. What would your advice be? I would tell them to consume different networks and different affiliates because everybody does not tell the story the same way. Even last week, I was at a vaccine clinic in Gastonia and all of us were there. We all interviewed the same people, but I guarantee you, we all told it slightly different. Some things may have been the same. You heard from the same people, but I may have picked a soundbite in the first 10 seconds or the first 20 seconds or the last minute. And we all have a different way of telling a story. And even we know that Fox News is more conservative versus ABC, NBC, CBS. So I would say anybody, whether they're watching national or whether they're watching local news, to look at all of them, to see what they're consuming. Do your own research outside of it. I only get a minute and a half every day to tell the story. So obviously everything's not in there, but keeping your options open, doing your own research and know how to think for yourself. Oh, and don't spread articles when the date was three years ago and you think that it happened today. Or no one to recognize. Oh, you mean Facebook's not a new source? <laughs> Especially on Facebook. I'm glad they're doing a great job fact-checking stuff. And don't be afraid to look up a fact-check. Like if you see, like for instance, there's messages circulating now that we're going under martial law. 
that must be news to me because I didn't hear that. Or like people's cousins <laughs> at the Pentagon who were like, oh, Corona this, we're doing this. I asked my mom one time, I'm like, you know what? Don't so-and-so work for the Pentagon? Yeah, did they tell you that? No, of course they did because it's a lie. So where are people getting this nonsense from? So people need to just think critically is what I'll say because there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of things that can get misconstrued. So don't get caught up in sharing chain messages about stuff that's actually very serious. I love that. A parting piece of advice. Think critically, people. I hope this episode goes viral so that everybody can hear that. Just, you know, that, those two words, think critically. Um, but with that being said, thank you, Courtney, so much for coming on today's episode. We really appreciate your insight into what it's like to be a reporter, um, especially during today's time. And we hope that you stay safe and, you know, cover responsibly. Hopefully nobody runs up on you, as you've mentioned several times in this episode. Um, but thank you so much Let's for your time. And we're <laughs> looking forward to sharing your light with um, our audience and hopefully people beyond that. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing it. That is a wrap on today's episode with Courtney Cole. Brendy and I really enjoyed getting to sit down and learn more about, you know, what it's like to be a reporter in today's time and especially what it's like to be a woman in the media, but also learning mindful tips surrounding things like networking and how to mindfully consume media in an age where it feels like, you know, everywhere you look, turn, there's a screen in front of your face telling you that the world is ending. So it was very refreshing to kind of get a few pointers from somebody who works in industry. You can find Courtney on Instagram at I'm Courtney J. Cole. You can watch her literally on the news at WBTV in Charlotte. So if you live in the area, you can definitely catch up with her there. As she said, it's important to pay attention and watch local news. And she also oftentimes post, you know, news clips and highlight reels on her Instagram. You can also find her on places like LinkedIn. So we'll be sure to list all of her information. She was just such a light to talk to as I said at the very, very beginning in the intro. And I really hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. So as we've entered into 2021, it's been over a year of doing this podcast together. Um, it's been obviously such a blast since we still doing it. Um, but Shannon and I have been talking recently and you guys may notice a few changes coming up in the next few weeks with our Instagram, um, just with what we're posting, kind of how we brand ourselves. So be on the lookout for those changes. We're really excited to kind of move into this new phase and this new era of the podcast as we've kind of got one year under our belt. We kind of know a little bit more what we're doing. We don't know everything, but we do know a little bit more. <laughs> so just be on the lookout for that. There are going to be a couple changes, but it'll be, still be the same BS that you know and love. I love that. Um, and one thing to say too is that what? I'm so sorry. There's a literal stink bug crawling across my desk right now and it literally gave me a heart attack. I'm <gasps> saving that clip. I'm saving that clip and putting it somewhere. You can leave it in here if you want. <laughs> I'm crying. Wow. I'm absolutely crying. That is the raw and the real ladies and gentlemen. But while Brandy Lou who comes to kill this stink bug on her desk, what I wanted to say was that a lot of people have been reaching out to us. And I don't mean to sound like your everyday regular, regular influencer, like, oh my gosh, so many people are asking, but 
a lot of people have been asking us um, things like how to start a podcast or how can I make my Instagram better or you know, what are ways that I can brand myself and position myself. And so one thing that we really want to hit hard on this year is helping people who want to get into whether it be podcasting or their own personal, you know, Instagram or social media branding. So this has literally nothing to do with the episode, but we wanted to kind of catch everybody up. But that's something that we want to start doing and we want to start helping other people in that way too. So if you have ideas, but you don't necessarily know how to execute them, please feel free to reach out to Brendy and myself, and we are more than happy to help you at least get on the road to where you want to be. Like Brendy said, we don't know everything, so we're not claiming to be experts by any means, but we do have a year of podcasting under our belt, and I have a lot of social media experience, and Brendy is starting her own influencing career, and we're about to blow this-ish up, keeping it clean, keeping it clean this year. I'm not dropping any bad words on this podcast anymore. We'll Um, see. We'll see how long she keeps up with this. (laughs) (laughs) But um, please feel free to reach out to us. We love helping people. Um, That's one of the main reasons why we started this podcast, because, you know, we want to bring you all people that can bring insight into your everyday life. But outside of that, we really want to start helping people um, reach and achieve their goals. Um, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff, like Brandy said to come in the next little bit. So definitely keep an eye out. Um, as always, our social media is linked down below in the show notes. Do you have anything else to add Brandy? Um, just wanted to update you guys. I did kill the bug and I'm doing great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the bug has been demolished. We will see you next Monday as always. That's That's the BS. BS.